the book of Acts. Anyone need a Bible? Please raise your hand. Bible, anyone? Raise your hand. There's a whole bunch of them. All right. Bibles, Bibles. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Now Saul was consenting to his death. Now, speaking of Stephen, who had just been stoned to death, first Christian martyr. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, remember speaking here of the man who would later become Paul, wrote half the New Testament. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed. And many were paralyzed and lame, were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Let's pray. Father, we want to be those who just are obedient to your word, every bit of it. Father, I uh, sometimes for myself, when I pray that you would just humble me and just really just strip my soul bare and be honest with me, it's sort of a fearful thing, but that's what we pray this morning, that you just give us the truth. Show us, Lord, what we're hiding inside that just needs to be exposed and changed. Bring us to the place, Lord, where we're just, by faith, aligning ourselves, our lives with your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. By the way, one last announcement. Men, this Saturday at 9 o'clock, men's Bible study begins. We haven't had one in a few years. Something very powerful happens when men get together and uh, study the Word of God together and pray. They're going to be at uh, 31B Iroquois Street in Boston. I think that's the right address. Talk with Kirk or Jose if you're interested. Okay, the book of Acts, it's the story of the early uh, church. It's also the picture of what church is supposed to be like today. I know I sound like a broken record there, but that's so important that we understand that as we read through the book of, uh, of Acts. And as I re- read, as we read the first, actually the first six chapters of this book, I can hardly think of a time or a place that I'd rather be than right there with these believers in the first six chapters. I mean, the Holy Spirit uh, came upon them. Yes, it's true that the disciples were arrested a few times, but they were let go. Multitudes of men and women, sick and demon-possessed, had been healed. One had been lame for 40 years. Was raised and he was he's walking. Thousands of men and women put their faith in Jesus Christ. They were 
living in community with one another, loving each other. There was kindness. There was, uh, they were of one accord. We keep on seeing that phrase over and over again in the first six chapters. One accord, meaning they were of one mind. They put aside their differences just to pursue the Lord together. People selling their possessions if anyone was in need. Acts chapter 2 says the Christians went from house to house, breaking bread, eating with one another, and with gladness and simplicity of their heart, they praised the Lord, having favor with all the people. Now, why would anyone want to leave that? Who on earth would want to leave that? Well, no one. No one's going to want to leave that. I mean, that's like uh, everything you'd ever want in the Christian life was happening to these people. And they didn't want to leave and they didn't leave. But there was a problem with that. And what was that? What did Jesus say at the beginning of this book, Acts chapter 1? What did he say in the last chapter of Matthew, last chapter of Mark? said, go. Acts chapter 1 said, you, Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. Everything okay up to that point. And in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, obviously, the first thing that Jesus talked about happened. They were uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. They received the power of the Holy Spirit. But again, after they received the power of the Holy Spirit, they had been told to go. They were supposed to go. Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. The problem was, who's going to leave Jerusalem? Sorry. When everyone is living in one accord, there's just a sweet, sweet unity there. There's breaking of bread from house to house with gladness. And there's signs, there's wonders. They, they get it all. And I know the Lord told me, told us to go, but surely He didn't mean now. But then came chapter 7. And in chapter 7, actually towards the end of chapter 6, one of the disciples, Stephen, he was seized he was brought before the religious authorities who were alarmed at the number of men and women who were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And he was accused of two things. One, blasphemous words against the law. Two, blasphemous words against the temple. What does blasphemous mean? Well, it just means to speak in opposition to or uh, to speak in an insulting or an offensive way. And in a dramatic scene at the end of chapter 6, Stephen is surrounded by the Sanhedrin, which was a Jewish body of, of, of a judicial body. They're comprised of 70 men. They're all looking at him. And it says their eyes were glued to him. They were fastened to him and, and waiting for a response. And instead of defending himself, instead of defending himself, Jesus boldly t uh, takes the Jewish Sanhedrin uh, through the uh, history, the whole history of Israel rejecting, rejecting deliverers. 
and who were sent to them by God, and most recently their rejection of the Messiah Jesus, and his climax, the climax of uh, Stephen's address uh, to the, pe- uh, the people there was in uh, verse 51 of Acts chapter 7. He says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so did you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, whom you now have, uh, whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. And it says when they heard those things, they, they gnashed their teeth. It says, but he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And and he said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And then in verse 1 of chapter 8, it says, Saul consented to his death. And, and it says, at that time, a great persecution arose against the church. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And then it says, after devout men carried Stephen away, it says in verse 4, it says, Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. What, pause. I've been told to pause here. Am I exploding too much here? God bless you. Thank you. You, you better say God bless him as well, lest your ears be uh, popped out. And so they went everywhere. They were scattered and they went everywhere preaching the word. Meanwhile, Paul, the future apostle Paul, going from house to house, dragging men and women from their houses. And again, up to this point, there really had been no violence against the people who had given their life to Christ. Now everything changes here. Men and women being put to death and people, thousands, begin to flee. Where did they go? To Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost ends of the earth. That's where they went. God shakes things up. He's faithful to shake things up. And sometimes he does it in the most extreme kind of way. Why? Why do you do that? I mean, families with soldiers or whatever, temple guards crashing through their doors, dragging mom and dad away. And that's what it took to, to scatter the people. This is all by the hand of God. God has sent His only begotten Son into the world. The prophets had spoke of Jesus coming for thousands of years. In Isaiah 53, speaking of Jesus coming, actually 700 years before the fact, 
Isaiah said this. He says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And then Isaiah continues in chapter 53. He says, he poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. It says, many, many will be justified when the Messiah comes. That's what the prophet said foretold. Many. They'd be saved. They'd be saved from the sin that was crippling their lives. Crippling their relationship with God or outright preventing a relationship with God. Saved from their disobedience from God. Saved from their broken lives, from their barren, lost and empty condition. Saved from hell. Saved for eternity through knowing Jesus. And now this Jesus, the Son of God, He's come. He's here. This is not news that you keep to yourself in Jerusalem. And God has a way of shaking things up in our lives in the most extreme kind of way. In order that we obey His will. In order that we stay in His calling. He's called us. He's put us on a path. The Bible says He's laid a race before us. Sometimes He's got to break our leg to get us back in the race. So these early Christians, they really never got out of the starting gate. They didn't get out of Jerusalem. So the Lord uh, shook things up and, you know, they were feasting off the blessing. Blessing, which, listen, always comes when you're obedient to the Lord. The blessing will always come. The question is, how long are you and I going to feed on the blessing and will we keep feeding law in, 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 in the way that we, we are prevented and we stop really obeying? In other words, we get out of the race saying, this, this feeding is just too good. I'm enjoying this too much. So they got comfortable in the blessing and over time the blessing itself became near and dear to their heart than the Lord himself. And they substituted, substituted obedience to the Lord with an over and extended uh, stay at the party, if you will. They stayed at the party too long. And God shakes things up. And, and when he does, you know, almost overnight, and this is how it works sometimes, over, almost overnight, uh, these Christians are in high and heavy trauma. And I have no doubt 
that some of them fell flat on their uh, face and, and they cried out to the Lord, Lord, what is going on? At which point the, the Lord reminded them of the words of Jesus, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And, and, and they said, Lord, you're right. That's what we've been called to. And so, brothers and sisters, when your world becomes shaken up, turned upside down, high trauma, you need to ask yourself, has the Lord's blessing become nearer and dearer to my heart than the Lord Himself? Has enjoying the blessing of the Lord become more important to me than obedience to the Lord? Could it be that, that the Lord is, is, is shaking things up in my life for me to really obey Him? Simple obedience. Now, it could be that the shaking up is completely unrelated to any kind of disobedience in your life. But as we see in Acts chapter 8... These Christians are held up uh, for all time, by the way, as, as, as Christians who, who follow the Lord and are wonderful examples. But even they stayed at the party too long. Now, the wonderful thing is, if, it, if, it, if your, your life is shaken up and it's, it is, you go to the Lord with it and, and it is related to some kind of disobedience in your life, uh, if you've been putting off something that the Lord has been telling you to do and, and the Lord's shaking things up, if that is the case with you, the good news, as we will see here in this chapter, is that God is so gracious. He is so gracious. And it doesn't matter how long... I've settled for God's, you know, second best plan in my life. doesn't matter how long I've substituted God's best for second, third, or fiftieth best. I can go right back into the race, right back to where God wants me, serving Him, blessing Him, obeying Him. And that is what grace... Remember, you were saved by grace. You were saved not only by grace, you were saved into grace. That is what grace is all about. And that's what happens to the believers here in Acts chapter 8. Look at what it says in verse 4. It says, therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Now understand, many of these people who were scattered were actually scattered right back to the place where they had come from. Remember, many of them had come to Jerusalem at the time of Pentecost, and now they are returned to their home. And you don't see them go home and sulk about, uh, you know, oh, I'm such a dirty, rotten sinner, you know, I disobeyed the Lord, you know, I'm going to just sit here in the penalty box for the next five years. No, it says in verse 4, they just went and they preached and taught everywhere, everywhere, the Word. Verse 5 says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles uh, which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. So again it says... 
and verse 4, that those who were scattered went everywhere preaching uh, the word. Now, who were these people anywhere, anyway, that just went out everywhere? They were ordinary people. They were not pastors. They were not priests. They were not church leaders. Verse 1 says, the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. They didn't have experience talking behind pulpits or standing up in the temple courts and preaching. They were ordinary men and women. Case in point, Philip, verse 5, then Philip went down and preached Christ. Who was Philip? Do you remember Philip? We read about him in Acts chapter 6. He was a table server. That's what he was, a table server. He was one of those seven guys who were appointed in Acts chapter 6 to hand out food to widows. Philip was an apostle, rather was not an apostle. He was not a priest. He was not a pastor. But it says that Philip preached Christ. Listen, the only qualification you need to go out and share is a relationship with Jesus. That's it. Philip was a table server. He had no other qualifications other than he had a relationship with Jesus. Philip didn't preach a philosophy. He didn't go out and teach a religion. He didn't preach about a, a, a church or a denomination. It says he preached about a person. Look at how that's phrased. In verse 5, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ. He preached about a person. We don't need a whole lot to go up to someone and say, look, all your life's problems can't be solved by a religion, a philosophy, or anything else. But they can be solved by a person, and his name is Jesus. So once you put your faith in Christ, that's all you need. You know, one of my favorite stories is the book of John, chapter 9, about the man born blind. His disciples pointed at a man born blind and they said, so you see that blind man, Jesus, was it his sin or the sin of his parents that caused him to be blind? And Jesus says, well, actually neither. He was born blind so that his life would glorify God. It's a sermon in and of itself. But Jesus went on to heal him. He heals this man and he is, you know, you need to understand about a man born blind living 2,000 years ago. Almost certainly the man was utterly uneducated. They didn't have special needs classes 2,000 years ago. I mean, you were left out. If you were born blind with that kind of handicapped. But nevertheless, this man who's born blind in uh, John chapter 9 is dragged before the religious leaders and interrogated by them. And these highly trained, educated men begin to question him really on the fine points of the Jewish Torah. Whether Jesus should have healed him on the Sabbath. And in John chapter 9, verse 24, they asked the poor guy to give his opinion on whether Jesus was a, was a, was a sinner based on the fact that he had, he had healed someone on the Sabbath. His response 
was one of the most famous, is one of the most famous verses in the entire Bible. This completely uneducated beggar. What does he say? Does he say, I apologize, guys. I really don't have the expertise in the Bible to answer your question. I, I, I'm just a poor, uneducated, blind man. Does he say that? No. What does he say in John 9.25? Whether Jesus is a sinner, I do not know. Altogether now. But this thing I do now. I was blind and now I see. That's all he needed. And the, these Pharisees, these scribes, these mega-educated uh, people, these men were thrown into complete upheaval by this man. You don't need a seven-year PhD in theology to go out to the streets of Boston to your co-workers, to your family and friends to share what Jesus has done in your life. And sometimes it will throw them into upheaval. The blind man preached Christ. That's what Philip does in Acts chapter 8. It says in verse 6 of Acts chapter 8, And the multitude with one accord heeded the thing spoken by Philip. Hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. And verse 8 says, And there was great joy in that city. Has it been a while since you've experienced joy? Has it been a long while? Let me tell you what can change that. Really. Sharing Christ. Sharing Christ. Sharing about Jesus. With anyone, anyone. First John chapter one verse four says, and I'm going to read from the NIV translation. It says, "We write these things to you, speaking these things to you about Jesus, so that our joy may be full. So that our joy may be full. We write to you these things about Jesus." Now, the King James has, "So that your joy." may be full. But the truth of the matter is you put both of the translations uh, together. That's what the Bible teaches. Your joy and my joy will be made full. Are you lacking joy in your life? We read the book of Acts to just give us the naked truth that we need to share Jesus if we're lacking joy. When a church begins to lack joy, oftentimes, it means that the church is turned inward. So, not only in the life of an individual, but the life of a church. You know, churches can become so focused on themselves where the whole church uh, or the whole life of the church revolves around the needs of the people in the church. We live in this consumer-oriented, me-first society where people come into churches with a checklist. And this has happened to me. What can this church do for 
me? How can it meet my needs? Do they have a this ministry for me? Do they have that ministry for me? Well, I'm sorry. I don't see any of that in the book of Acts. I see Acts chapter 8, verse 4. It says, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. That's what I see. Get out. Go. Preach the word. Quit looking inward. Look outward. Serve. Do you lack joy? Serve. Is your life getting dry? Serve. Go out. Get your eyes off yourselves and on to the people God has put in your life. And verse 8 says, And there was great joy in that city. You want joy? Here it is. But then verse 9 says, But. Oh no, that's an, om- that's an ominous but. But. There was a man named called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming he was something great, to whom they all gave heed. So they started following after this guy, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. Time And you say, what's up with this? Miracles, a sorcerer, a wizard or whatever doing miracles? Were they real? Yes, they were real. Well, how can someone who is not a Christian do a miracle? Well, we don't have time to go into this at length. But the Bible teaches quite explicitly that Satan can disguise himself as an angel of light performing miracles for the purpose of turning people away from God or keeping people away from God. In fact, you go all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy. The children of Israel taught what to do when they see miracles performed by someone who is doing so to turn away people from God. So this entire human history, you see sort of the demonic realm, this kind of thing happening. And and that's what you see uh, right here in Acts uh, chapter 8. In verse 12, it says, but when they believed Philip, remember Philip had gone down there and preached Christ. He went right into the middle of all of that, by the way. He didn't say, oh man, that that, that group of people, they're given over to strongholds, man. I'm going somewhere else. No, he went right into the middle of it. And it says in verse 12, when, verse 12, when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. And I really like this verse because you have a city or a region who's been all caught up in the miraculous, you know, this guy Simon was doing witchcraft and sorcery and people. He was, there was the buzz, you know. But when Philip came and shared the good news, they ditched Simon for Jesus. And, you know, as I read about this verse, I, I really began to think, you know, counterfeit miracles or counterfeit whatever. Counterfeit joy, joy that is brought about by the world or by the demonic realm or whatever. It can mesmerize you. It can woo you. It can draw you in. 
wow, you know, this is unbelievable stuff. I'm into this. But there's no healing there. There's no healing in that. The brokenness stays. There's no peace there or satisfaction there. That, and that's what you see here in Samaria. The, the, you know, the, the miracles that are not from the Lord, it gets everyone stirred up, but it does nothing to heal the brokenness inside. Pastor Scott, one time, gave me this little book. It's called The Beautiful Side of Evil. Ooh. It's this true story of this woman who went uh, down into Mexico, and I think she was American, but she just went down there and she got really caught up in, it wasn't voodoo, but it was sort of the uh, Native American style voodoo down there in Mexico or whatever. And, and she got all involved in this and person after person would come in from all over Mexico and be completely healed in the most bizarre rituals that, that they used to do. And, you know, they had this, this idol that they stuck up on the wall and worship, but everyone who came in with whatever problem, they were healed. And it's like this crazy thing. Creepy, as you can, I, you know, this book is not for the faint of heart. You know, some assistant pastors, they like give their senior pastors like theological books, you know, John Calvin on Romans. Pastor Scott gives me these books, you know, hey, Steve, gotta read this book, you know. And that's not the only one. There's others from where that came from. But anyway, I don't know what he sees in me that he thinks I need this stuff. But, um, but, but, you know. As I read through this book, as I read through this book, um, one thing became really clear to me that, that though this really radical stuff was happening there, and we've heard about the same things happening in, in Haiti, really radical stuff and just undeniable. You just could not deny what was going on in terms of the healing. What they, the one thing that pervaded the whole story was an utter, total lack of joy. A complete lack of peace. There was just a barrenness and an emptiness and nothing at all resembling spiritual freedom. Nothing. There was just that brokenness in, in, in their lives and it actually seemed to grow. The people were in bondage to something. But anyway, when this woman who, who wrote this book, eventually, I don't know, she moved away. She hears about Christ and, and she, she gives her life to the Lord. And her life has changed around, winds up having a family. Her son actually winds up, I think, going to school with Pastor Scott. That's how we got the book, I think. But, but uh, anyway, uh, it, 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 in verse 8, I love how it says this. It says, and there was great joy in the city. And, and in verse 12, it says, and they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Only with Jesus is there healing. I mean, you know, life sometimes can become a swirl of excitement completely apart from the Lord. But the barrenness will remain only healing the only real healing that, that a, a, a human uh, soul, a human life needs and wants can be found in 
Christ. Let's continue on. In verse 13, it says, Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and the signs that were done. Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So people were baptized. Uh, this, this confuses some people. What do you mean they received the Holy Spirit? Hadn't they been baptized? Well, Virtually the same thing happened uh, to the apostles and the disciples at the end of the book of John. They had received the Holy Spirit from Jesus, but the Holy Spirit didn't come upon them till Acts chapter 2. Same kind of thing here. Verse 16, for as yet uh, he, the Holy Spirit, had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 17, then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given. He offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you. Now, at the risk of getting in trouble with someone, the literal translation there is to hell with your money. It's a literal translation there. And that's where this kind of money does go. And, it, and it's where it sends people uh, as well. Your money perish with you. Because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter. For your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of, uh, of your heart is forgiveness for, forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. And Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. Verse 25 says, And when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the, uh, of the Samaritans. And so, uh, interesting progression of this story. So this man, Simon here, who had been a sorcerer, sees all the people leave him and go to, to really to Jesus. And he winds up believing and getting baptized by, uh, on his own. However... He wasn't a real believer. How do we know that? Because Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, in verse 23 says, I see that you're poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Not a description of a, of a born-again believer. Just because someone comes forward in an altar call and gets baptized doesn't mean that they have really been converted to God, that they've really become born again. Jesus himself talked about the wheat and the tares. That Jesus plants the wheat, but the enemy comes in, plants tares. And, and uh, way back when we did our study in that particular chapter, wheat and tares look very similar. The, the plant is actually a plant, uh, plant tares, called tares. I forget what it is in the Greek, but it's, a, it's this kind of uh, weed, really, that looks just like wheat. 
And someone actually came along to Jesus and said, shall we pull up the tares? He says, no, because that'll harm the wheat. And so here you have an actual example of this, Simon. And as we conclude here, I just want to bring this up. Notice the pattern in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. In Acts chapter, Ananias and Sapphira were who? They were, it's within the church. Something came up and threatened the unity of the church. In Acts chapter 6, what happened? Also, again, Christians murmuring uh, amongst each other. uh, And it was like this cultural prejudice, racist thing that maybe some of the uh, widows who, uh, the Hellenic uh, Christians from from, uh, the Roman Empire were being treated differently than the Hebrew Christians. Again, Where'd the disunity, where'd the threat come from? From within. Here, again, in Acts chapter 8, where does the threat come from? It comes from within. And so, so important that we recognize that our enemy ain't out there. You know, churches and Christians and preachers who get up and they're cursing the world and how evil it is. And how, you know, oh no, what's going to happen? They're just taken over. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But there's a greater threat. And that's when someone within the church stirs up division, stirs up problems. And here, this guy Simon, uh, you know, it's like a power grab. He wants to sort of take over and and, and win back some of his following. And so it's it's just dealt with in a very forthright way. And the problem uh, is dealt with. And interestingly enough, we never really know what happens to him. Verse 24, he says, pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which have spoken may come upon me. Listen, there's nothing that I, as the pastor of this church, can do. Uh, to pray for you that will substitute for your own repentance. And that's what he's trying to do. He doesn't want to repent. He doesn't want to give his life to the Lord. He just wants to continue on this sort of superstitious thing where, hey, can you like make that not happen? Each of us, the Bible says, will stand before the Lord Jesus and give an account for the things done to the body, both good and bad. And, and, and really, uh, no one else's prayer can really be a substitute for us really doing business with the Lord. We're going to have uh, communion now, if the worship team could come up. And uh, at our communion service, I always say this, communion was given by Jesus to the church, to children of God. He didn't give uh, communion to people who had never given their life to Jesus. So, if you have never given your life to Jesus, this is going to be an opportunity for you to just come up and and pray. Actually, we're going to have prayer people, prayer partners up here. If you've been asked to do that, if you could please come up. Um, If you've never given your life to Christ, just come on up and... uh, Pray to receive the Lord Jesus, just as these people did in Samaria. Maybe you're like the people in Samaria, who, who you've been sort of called, you, you know, you've, you've been caught up in sort of the, the excitement of the world, whatever the world was. 
uh, has to offer and, the, and, the, and you're chasing after this one excitement or that excitement or whatever. Maybe you're involved in some kind of, I don't know, sorcery. You've been going to a fortune teller to, to, to you know, calm your fears rather than the Lord. Certainly there's no lack of fortune tellers around this, uh, around this city. Or, 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 or maybe you've just been, you know, you've lived a life similar to how I did growing up. First 24 years of my life, I thought I was a Christian. I had all, always called Jesus or God my friend. But whenever it came to doing what I wanted to do, and making a decision of whether I do that and, or, or I, I do it the way that I, I knew what my conscience said and I knew what, in some cases, what God said. I, I always chose what I wanted to do. The Bible says that in order to become a Christian, you need to make Jesus your Lord, your master, where you say, okay, Jesus, I've had enough of choosing my own way. Every single time in my life when, you know, there's a conflict choosing my own way. I want to give my life to you. If you've never done that, uh, please, as the worship team begins, uh, please come up. And it's a simple uh, prayer of faith where you are saved. You are saved. These Samaritans got saved by a simple prayer of faith. Lord Jesus, I want to get off the throne of my heart and I want you on it. Or... The Bible also says that before communion, if there's any other thing that you just want to go before the Lord and pray through, and uh, it could be just a burden that's on your heart, or if there's unforgiveness in your heart, or th- there's something that you're struggling with, or whatever reason, this is a time, this is a family, and families are for getting vulnerable with, you want to come and, and just pray about anything whatsoever. Uh, We'll be up here to pray uh, for you as the worship team uh, begins here. And at your leisure, you can go back and we have the uh, grape juice and the crackers in several different places. Return your seat and we'll we'll have uh, we'll have communion together. So please uh, come up and pray.